Welcome to Amateur All Tours, the podcast where every week we sit down and have a discussion about a movie. I'm your host, Mike, and joining me is my brother, Brian, and we would like to welcome you to Amateur All Tours. Alright, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike, and joining me as always... Hey guys, Brian. And uh, we have a another special episode for you guys, um, just kind of another, I guess, appreciation the show... How much we really do appreciate you guys uh, supporting the show. Uh, this is coming out. Uh, well, it's an extra episode, and you know, and we got a few of these planned, and um, yeah, I th- and they're really interesting. I think they're going to be more, uh, more personal about Brian and I as people and as filmmakers and film lovers, and uh, just really what inspires us and things like that to help the audience get to know a little bit more about Brian and I as. So, Brian, what, what do you have to say about these episodes? Yeah, I mean, I, I like doing these because, yeah, it, it, I mean, I like breaking the formula a little bit. I like, I mean, as much as I love talking about movies, it is also fun talking about these other things. Because, uh, I mean, yeah, just to give a little perspective about us and who we are as people. And, I mean, I feel like when you listen to things like this, like what we say outside of film, you know, directly to a film that we watched, I think it gives you a little more, you know perspective on who we are as people in terms of the things that we're saying so i feel like hopefully we can give a lot more to you guys yeah and with that being said um so brian and i have, we've we have a, a number of these like i mentioned earlier set up and ideas are floating around but this this specific episode uh is brian's idea and brian why why don't you say what the idea is since it is your idea Okay, so the idea that uh, I brought to the table is uh, we sit down, have a discussion about the most influential films to us, uh, and I guess in terms of, uh, I'm assuming how it influences our personalities and who we are today, and especially and our, our, and our, our outlook on film. And... Yeah. Okay, um, so how do you want to do this? Do you want to lift kind of what we did with the guilty pleasures where we list one by one and we go yeah, back and forth I because do i that. have i have uh one two three four i have five i have and, four so you can go first okay so i feel like my first two aren't or i feel like at least three of these are going to be kind of nothing it's not going to be a surprise but so my first most influential film i would definitely say is dawn of the dead 1978 and we had done an episode this is actually the first episode of this show, like our first real movie, and I kind of get into it there a little bit, but... A little bit? The episode was like two hours long. Well, I mean, more of like, its influence on me as a, as like a person, and like how I love film, and, and, and my own like filmmaking, like my own amateur filmmaking, but I don't know, what. I think Dawn of the Dead really... It, well, first off, it's really influential for me, and I mentioned in the in the review that it really it was the first film that I can remember that really had me questioning filmmaking and really wanting to understand how this film was made, uh, like the pre and post production, and and like the production, how the effects were made, how like kind of the rigs that he was using. It really made me get really start thinking about the filmmaking process as a whole, and 
gave me a new appreciation for you know storytelling and and uh, taking ideas and sp- and going with like uh, and and also weaving like your own message into a story, and so I don't know this this film really means a lot to me and I don't know I uh, can't really explain why I don't know it just really this film really captivated my attention especially at such a young age and yeah so this was definitely one of those influential films for me I don't know if you have anything to say about Dawn of the Dead Brian no I mean this isn't exact I'm not into the whole zombie thing or the whole that kind of culture in my opinion I mean, I, I like, <clears throat> I enjoy the Dawn of the Dead films, and I love the Dead films a lot. Um, but, like, we, I talked about that in the our review of um, Dawn of the Dead, the 70s version. So I don't really have too much to say about that film, other than I enjoy it, but it doesn't really define me or how I approach film or anything about that in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I don't know, this film, does, I mean, it just really speaks to me, and... It's always, it's it's never, I, I feel this film will never, ever change. I know my top favorite films, uh, they're, I always list them from, I always have five. And they're always, inter- the number two through five can always be interchangeable. They're they're malleable. Whereas number one, will always, Dawn of the Dead will always be solidified as my favorite movie of well, all time. I feel like, um, the, I feel like Dawn of the Dead for, in your situation was the, I guess... Um, what is what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I can't think of it right now. I'm blanking on the word. It's it's the thing that starts it, uh, that starts it all from the beginning. Uh, like for me, my next like film, the catalyst. Yeah, the catalyst. That's what I'm thinking of. It, that word was completely slipping my mind. The catalyst uh, for that kind of launches our foray into just like cinema in general. There's always like a start for that. Um, like even just like for anything, your passion that you love. I mean, even for me, I remember the first thing I ever wrote. That was the catalyst that ignited my extreme love and passion for writing. Just like I have a film that started this for cinema, which is actually my next pick. Um, I feel like Dawn of the Dead was that for you, and that's why it's so esteemed. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. And I don't know. I feel like I don't. There's not much I can say without kind of retreading on what we went on in the review. But I definitely wanted to mention it here because I mean the episode is about our most influential films, and this is probably for me as a, as a moviegoer and a filmmaker this is definitely like the most this is the one thing i always want to turn back to especially if i need inspiration for something i always just watch this and just it i always get inspired to just go out and no matter what just film a movie yeah so i mean that's totally awesome yeah that's what film should be doing yeah so that is my number one first pick brian what is your uh what is your pick for your i guess one of your most influential yeah, so the, the uh, starting off the list for most in- influential, this is my catos, like I was just saying for Mike, um, the the film that I you know sat down, watched all the way through, or at least most of it, and really we just sat back and thought this is something that I can really get into, and even just from there, it just stemmed into so many other branches that I've been able to pursue. And that film is uh, Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. Um, I feel like this is the movie for a, this was a this was the catalyst for a lot of people. Um, I'm I'm definitely not alone in this one. I'm sure many other people can affirm this belief. And uh, that like it just this film even in the '90s when this film came out, 
it just totally revolutionized an entire just even subgenre in and of itself. Well, it's very but, avant-garde, and it still is. I I would say argue to this day, it's still very avant-garde, and I, I could only imagine what this film was like in the, when it came out in the '90s. I can't even imagine like seeing something like this for the first time. Because it, it was, besides Reservoir Dogs, but even that, like, that blew into the mainstream. But really, that was a very subdued version of what the essence of Pulp Fiction really is. And I, I, I feel envious for, like, people who were old enough to see the, like, grow up with these, you know, the new independent filmmaker wave. Like, watching films like Pulp Fiction and Boogie Nights and even Magnolia and all these other films for the first time. And just, like, experience it fresh. Because even when we were growing up, uh, like I said, Pulp Fiction inspired a subgenre in and of itself, and it even enabled guys like Guy Ritchie to make films, and many other actors. And there are so many other spinoffs of Pulp Fiction that we kind of, without even we, me and you realizing it, I feel like we grew up in this like we definitely grew up in a post Pulp Fiction world of oh, cinema. Oh yeah, I mean, but, like, I, especially, I, I was gonna say, especially like in a pop culture heavy world. Um, which is what the Pulp Fiction universe is, and all of Tarantino's really his his whole universe is very uh, heavy, like pop culture centric. Whereas, kind of what we're living in now. I mean, this. I mean, just want to go off Pulp Fiction. This movie is quoted endlessly by just groups of people, even if they don't mean it. Um, I mean, we quote it just just to, like uh, with our with our buddies, and I know people that quote it with their friends because it's a quotable movie. It's a great movie, but it's very. It's we're living in a pop culture centric universe. As, I mean, world in in modern society as as the characters in that film. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I feel like this film resonates so strongly with like such a. I mean, because this, I I can't even say it any any more you know bluntly than that. This is a a, a fantastic film. And and even even to thirteen year old Brian, it, it was just something that I knew. I didn't really know why, but I just knew this was like special. Whether it was the the dialogue, the the pulp, the um, not pulp, the pop culture references, the even just the way it was shot, the the out of the out of sync storylines, but they still meshed together. Um, even even the the uh, John Travolta dance sequence. That always resonated with me. I remember, I remember when we watched this for the first time. It was with um, our sister's ex-boyfriend. He said, "You guys got to watch this film." And he only showed us pretty much only the sequences with um, Jules and Vincent. Well, I actually remember. I was gonna actually bring this up too, and I don't want to go too much into it because I we are gonna re- properly review this film at some point. But I do remember watching this for the first time when we watched the Bonnie situation the, if, to its entirety, to, from the Bonnie situation to the end of the film, which I guess is technically the Bonnie situation. And I just remember being so enraptured by this film, like, holy crap, this is so... Like, it, the pace is great. This, like, I don't even know what the rest of the story is. Um, this, just, just the situation is really interesting. And and I just remember being enraptured. And, and I think we were... had to be... Yeah, like 13. Probably shouldn't have been watching Pulp Fiction at 13. But I remember coming home, and at that age, I used to watch movies just in parts on YouTube. It's actually how I watched Dawn of the Dead uh, originally, was through multiple parts on YouTube and and scourging YouTube for these parts. 
And I remember I watched Pulp Fiction on YouTube somehow, but I did, and I just remembered like thinking, wow, this is really, really cool. Yeah, um, I, I, I honestly, 13, I feel like is a good age for this film. That might be a controversial statement, but like, I would let a, th- I would let my 13 year old watch this film, but I would watch it with them and have a discussion about it, uh, and kind of let them process what they saw, um, because this, this is, I mean, Tarantino has even said that his his movies are just, you know, are films. They're fun. They're make believe. And that's kind of the alert to them is because they're so they're not even like his later films like Kill Bill and Over are 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 just like immersed in uber violence. But that's kind of like and that's not saying that movies like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction show any um, like subtlety in their violence because that's definitely not the case. But I, I feel like there's a lot more finesse to what Tarantino is doing with Pulp Fiction. Not maybe not so much Reservoir Dogs, but definitely Pulp Fiction. And and to an extent, Jackie Brown, even if that's one of his most critically bombed films besides Death Proof. But I, I always like watching these films and kind of just appreciating – like, subtlety is not the right word, but there's definitely, like, the tone, the tonal shift is different and much more apparent in these films, whereas when you see, like, big, big-budget Hollywood Tarantino is just off the walls, crazy – but they're still like masterfully done films. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I, mean, I mean, yeah. And this film, I mean, Tar- especially indie and earlier Tarantino is exp- he, like you said, he he inspired like a subgenre of like kind of gangster films with like, and like I I can really only think of Guy Ritchie that really, a, a, that really did this successfully. And there's also like um, some cases with like the usual usual suspects and things like that. Oh yeah, but that's Guy very Ritchie, true. But Guy, but Guy Ritchie, especially early Guy Ritchie, his films really kind of well, emulated this. Well, I don't well, even really, say formula, it, no. but this kind of style, like well, quick dialogue, say, really stylized film and edits and things like that. Well, I'll say I'll say indie Guy Ritchie was taken very. I could see the influence of Tarantino and Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and uh, Snatch. Those two films mainly, even though, and those two films even of themselves are almost the same movie. But I mean, that being said, I, I know what you're saying. I can't think of any uh, filmmakers like off off the top of my head who like kind of didn't. Like, Guy Ritchie didn't directly copy this this um this equation. But he definitely, you could definitely tell there are, you know, seams that. I mean, I wouldn't say copied, but he's very. I'm not saying it, that you could tell. Well, I mean, you could, but you could see, like, when I was watching uh, Snatch for the first time, I was like, wow, this is very heavily influenced from Tarantino. But Richie put his own style, especially in his editing and in, and his uh, in the way he cut his film in the story. But just the complexity of the story, specifically Snatch. And like the dialogue, I mean, in I'm just on the topic of snatch. I mean, the whole uh, like the bit that I'm thinking of is oh, you could like parallel parking. You can park like a like a a jumbo jet, a jumbo jet in here. And he's like, well, oh, I, I what what did he say? How did it exactly play out? But it was very. Well, no, I mean, well, he ends up hitting the the van, and they're like, what'd you do that for? And he's like, it was at a funny angle. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I mean, but the point I'm getting at is that it's very quick, quotable, and 
great dialogue that you could see the inspiration, but he puts his own twist on it. Oh, yeah, that's what most good directors do, and Guy Ritchie is a good director. Yeah, and, and so. I mean, the point of that is just just kind of proving the influence of this of, of Pulp Fiction to the sub-genre of gangster films and its influence on us. I mean, when I, when I read your writing, I get a lot of... Uh, Tarantino, I, I can see it, but I really get, like, Chuck Palahniuk... And like his his kind of quick witty kind of kind of not want to say cynical but it's very it's I, I don't know how to describe it like how would you describe Palinuk's writing because like, then well his prose is very blunt to say the least and it's very because I would like, say whatever you describe is how you write but it's also very ter- like I can see Tarantino's like witty kind of like tr- like I like, I don't want to say true well well Tarantino his dialogue is famously you know it's 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 of the style of um Elmore Leonard and um Chandler Raymond Chandler and that and like those it's very witty but it's it's like it's it's a very um what am I trying to say here it's very specific to the to the people who write it not everybody can do it actually like Jerry Seinfeld I think he said when he watched Pulp Fiction he said, um, this, like, when I saw this film, I was watching Seinfeld. Because it's this very, like, episodic, but very oddly specific way of writing something. It's, like, the best way I can describe it is, like, I feel like, uh, the, the Like a Virgin discussion in Reservoir Dogs is something that they could totally have in, in the universe of Seinfeld. Just a little, you know, PG version instead of the R. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm just, that's just going off of the, the specifics of the dialogue and how just, brilliant it is but yeah i mean i think pulp fiction goes without saying like how influential on filmmakers and as a society that 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 film has but so with that i do have anything to say about pulp fiction like any any more if you haven't seen it i don't know why you're listening to this you should that i feel like this is like a definitely a, a core film that like any cinephile would be have would have seen and if you haven't seen it Please go watch it. It's it's a great, fantastic. I think it's film. on it's on Netflix. It's you can probably find it. And like I said, YouTube. I watched it on YouTube. Like this uh, movie's you, huge. You can definitely find it. There's a will. There's a way. <laughs> but um. Anyway, so now we're gonna move on. I guess to my second pick. Um. So my second most influential film is Whiplash, the uh, twenty, I believe fourteen, um, release by Damien Cassell, and or Chazelle. But man, and and incidentally, this is my second favorite movie, um, right under Dawn of the Dead. And man, this now this film, I remember when I first watched this. I was going, I was flying to um, Italy for uh, through my school, and it was a, I think it was like a seven-hour flight going there, and I think I I had heard about this film. I remember seeing it, uh, um. Like in this, like when I was, I went to see him. I forget what movie I saw, but I remember seeing it like on the, one of those like, uh, like show times, and I was like, oh, Whiplash. Wonder what that's about. And I saw this. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll watch it. And man, I, I always try and find a film that completely blows me away. And every now and again, a film comes along that really does that. In this film, I remember watching it on this flight. And I was like, whole I, I was I was utterly speechless. I was so engrossed in this film and and I remember just like I need to watch it again. And I mean I, I didn't watch it on that plane. I watched I think like eight movies in total and from there and back. But 
I remember showing it to Brian and my parents, and Brian had a pretty pretty similar reaction that I had. And then I watched it again, and then I'm like, you know what? I just gotta buy this movie, and I bought it, and I and I I watch it. I think I must have watched it this past year at school, maybe. I have to say at least seven or eight times. Damn. In the, yeah, dude. It was I, well. It's because I kept showing people, but I did have a few like personal screenings for myself, and my roommate actually had a a great sound system, and so I would plug it right into there, and I'd turn that bass up all the way, especially during the jazz sessions in this, especially the last ten minutes, and uh, I actually as for me and Brian's uh, friends, we have friendmas, and this year I got the Whiplash uh, soundtrack on vinyl. And let me tell you, it sounds amazing. <laughs> I love listening to it. Um, I have a, lo- a, bu- a bunch of the songs on my uh, iPod. I love listening to it. And and it's funny, this film, it, I mean, it really dives and delves into, like, the psyche of, like, what it means to be great. But I kind of, and, like, kind of what it does to this person, like, how it changes their personality and what they will do to be great in that even going as far as to sacrificing their love of music or their passion to become great and this film kind of have has an opposite effect on me in that i like there's two films that i watch to be inspired i guess technically three and but two of them are rocky um actually i should say four it's rocky one four vision quest and whiplash and i don't know what it is about whiplash it has to be the ending and how driven uh miles miles teller's character is but i always watch this film and i always feel like i i can conquer the world watching this film and that's just the story and the acting um with phenomenal acting by miles teller and jk simmons yeah that's that's not even including the cinematography but the, the, the cinematography music. the fil- the mute the, the music is just phenomenal um it's just an electric story and editing style and Man, like I, I, I just remember, and I always, what I love about this film is, the the end always has the same reaction whenever I show this to people. Is everyone goes now? If you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, watch the film. I'm not going to spoil anything, but the last ten minutes is probably the best ending to a film I have ever seen. The buildup is is excellent. It's near perfect. Um, the execution, the editing style is so electric and quick. It you really are engaged. And but what I'm saying is every reaction to this is it's dead quiet and when it ends everyone just erupts and just like yeah hell yeah that, that was great and I actually remember watching this with my brother and showing our buddy for the first time and he has one of those uh, sound systems and we watched it and the ending happened and they're like so we all looked at each other like we're gonna watch that again right and we did it again we turned the sound system even louder and we all were standing just watching it was like a it was like a sporting event i would say like we all were like yeah fuck yeah this is like knowing what's gonna happen and and so i don't know this film like i said like dawn of the dead but years later completely captured my imagination and just really really is a standing example of why filmmaking i i love movies is because of this is one of those reasons and i think this movie is also one of those like solidified as number two never be as good as dawn of the dead to me but will never be changed as if i ever have it like my thoughts fade on this film i always just have to put it in and it's 
instantly I'm into it and it's I'm like yep this is number two and on a side note uh, his new film is coming out in December so hopefully we can get to that because I am super excited for that um, and I and I try not to get really excited for new films because I always feel like I get disappointed when that happens but I know I'm not the only people that I'm not going to be disappointed for are Tarantino um, and now I know I'm not going to be disappointed for this so so yeah, I'm. I'm. That's what Whiplash is to me. What about you, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I think you just said it perfectly. Um, but I, I also, yeah, you gave a perfect uh, overview of that film because I know this is on like our docket. We're definitely gonna get to Whiplash, and we're actually gonna give like a proper formal review of it and a discussion. So really, all you said was pretty good, and I really have nothing to add to that conversation right now. Um, I know when we start talking about it, I do have a lot to say about it. Oh, um, yeah, be- I do too. <laughs> yeah, because I, yeah, I mean, I, you said you're blown away. I was absolutely blown away by this film, especially as a musician. There's like that, oh, that yeah. there's that whole other level that I, I just got. Um, not saying you didn't get it either, but I could just, I guess, connect oh, no, more you, with it. Yeah, no, and, and like, it was, it's jazz. You're, um, on I'm the a jazz, jazz musician, yeah. you're a jazz musician, and so you, you, had a whole other appreciation and and my roommate was a jazz he was also was a jazz musician and he was just like oh my god and he he was picking up th- picking up on things that probably a jazz musician wouldn't necessarily get at first but like i think this this film is just something that a lot of people can relate to in some sense like i was saying i use this as motivation um to to really get going and 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 other people just think it's a, like I mean it's an amazing film, so yeah. I think this really is a great it, it really just like like I said I keep saying over and over just captivated my attention and it held it and I just I went with it for a great ride it's it's it's, it's one it should go down as one of the like a, a cinematic masterpiece in my opinion. Well, I definitely I would I would agree with that. So I guess that that leads me to my. What is this? My second pick. Also, I now have five picks because while you were talking, I thought of another one. So now I have okay. five. But okay. well, what's your next pick? Yeah. So without further ado, my number two um, is Once Upon a Time in America. So Sergio Leone's, in my opinion, masterpiece and unfortunately final final film. Um, <clears throat> so when I was thinking about this, there were definitely three directors that were definitely going to make it into this category. Um, and like, like we said in the pilot, um, I, I will be, uh, their names will be reoccurring and often re, re reoccurring throughout this, you know, discussions that we have. And those three are Paul Thomas Anderson, Quentin Tarantino and Sergio Leone. And, you know, I, I just said Pulp Fiction. Now I have Sergio Leone. And it, that was tough coming into this one because in my opinion, all of his films have impacted me immensely more so than others i mean there's the no the man with no name trilogy which is it just these films are fantastic they're amazing pieces of art even just not even considering them as films they're just works of art uh, in every sense of the word uh and I, whenever i watch those films with clint eastwood and the man with no name um, I always gravitate towards the good, the bad, the ugly, because that's where I started with Sergio Leone. So that was kind of like my first instinct to go with that film, but because that that is incredibly, uh, you know, bravado, grandiose, amazing filmmaking. 
Um, but I really had the land, and then there were also there was of course Once Upon a Time in the West and Donkey Sucker, and then there's also Colossal Roads, which is more mainly for the completionists. Um, but I really kept coming back to Once Upon a Time in America because this is, I mean, it, it, this is in every sense of the word a masterpiece because it's, it, it, I mean, not only does it capture the story that spans over 40 years, um, it, I mean, I, there are so many moments in this film that either just totally disgust me, shock me, or I find myself almost close to tears because it's just so beautiful. I mean, hell, I, I have two, two favorite scenes in all of cinema that I always routinely just watch because I love them so much. The first one is um, in The Deer Hunter when they're in the bar just singing uh, Can't Take My Eyes Off You by Frankie Valli. And just that, that sweet innocence of the moment that I love so much. And, and then in this film, it's, it's a scene of uh, old Robert De Niro, his character. He stands up, he goes to his old childhood, uh, you know, a place where he, he went often during his childhood. He opens a slit in the wall and he stares through it. And it's just like this very... Um, is very emotional, sweeping scores playing Neo Morricone, of all people. And not, no surprise, the Sergio Leone film. And it's just sweeping and grand, and it's so beautiful, and you don't know what he's looking into, and then it just pans in on his eyes, and then you hear this sweet um, like music playing. It's like just a clarinet and a bass, and you're wondering what it is, and then it, and then it pans into a, a, a little girl, and she's dancing ballet to the song. And then we, you know, we fade in on her, and then we, and then we do a quick cut, and it's Robert De Niro as a kid, and and it just, it's like one of the the most innocent expressions of youth I've ever seen in a film, where it's just simply a kid watching a girl he loves dance, and she knows it, and they both know it, and like it's a really nice exchange, and I just love it. And this film is like full of these beautiful moments. I mean, also, not even to mention just the sheer scale of everything. Sergio Leone was well known for going bigger and better with each film that he did. That that was the whole point of the Man With No Name trilogy. It's like, okay, well, now I... Clint Eastwood kills, you know, maybe like 10 people in this film. Now he kills 20, now with a Gatling gun. And then this time we're going to blow up a train, we're going to blow up a bridge, and the good and the bad and the ugly. And then, like, Ducky Sucker was even taking that to the 10th degree, and then ult ultimately uh, culminating with Once Upon a Time in America. This is literally just sheer scope is just impressive and it's also uh like when i watch this film it this movie is four and a half hours long and when i watch this film i that time it never never drags for me uh it, i mean it also it, that goes in turn with just the skill that sergio leone directs but also how he utilizes actors like james woods james woods is amazing in this film and he kind of disappeared off the mainstream pretty quickly after this film, which is kind of a damn shame after seeing him in this film. But then there's also De Niro, Joe Pesci's in this film for like 10 minutes. Um, who is it? Burt something. Burt Young, who was uh, Pauly and Rocky. He's in this film for a minute. Um, what's her name? Jennifer. She was in Requiem for a Dream. Jennifer. Car or, oh, Connolly. Yeah, she's in. She's young. She's the girl who the scene I just described—the young girl dancing—that's her. And and then there's so many other more actors that come into this, but it's just it. When I when I think of this, this is the film that like I would always want to make. It, it's just it, it like for me this transcends like 
so many conventions of filmmaking that it's this is a perfect film in my opinion and i just i it never fails to just sweep me up in the story and in in essence that is what film is about it's supposed to take you places it's supposed to take you to 1920s new york and then sweep you through to 1940s post-war uh, New York when Robert De Niro is like 70 years old. I feel that, and I feel the emotion for these characters, and I love it for that. And yes, there are scenes of very uh, gratuitous nature. I feel disturbed while watching these films, and just the fact that it can make me feel something like that, I admire and it's a damn shame that Sergio Leone passed away after this film. Yeah, I mean, he died, like, I think five years after the, after he released this film. But, I mean, it's just this kind of takes me to a time where they don't make films like this anymore. And I always kind of watch it, you know, with a heavy heart. I mean, because it's true. I mean, this was, like, this was a master. And, I mean, we don't have him anymore. But, I mean, that's not to say that we still don't have any in this world. But... I mean, it really takes me back, and I truly love this film. Okay, um, I... This is gonna be such a lackluster and, like, fail in comparison. I've never seen the film, so I can't... Well, yeah, you can't I, say anything about it. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I can't even say anything, because that was such a, like, a really heartfelt and, like, really great, um... W reasoning why you love this film, and then there's me that's like, oh, I haven't seen it. Well, you haven't but, seen it, so that's that's not like any of your fault. I know, you but so because I, 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 I've seen bits, and I'm like, wow, this j and I, and I've seen um, like the lone um, man with no name trilogy. Um, th that's the only things that are coming to my head that like of Leone's work, and and I've seen bits of this film. Like, wow, this would be oh, like once upon once upon a time in the West. I'm like or bits of that. I'm like, wow, this seems like such a good movie, but it's just kind of finding time for that. But yeah, I, I, that sounds like such a really accurate and great way to put all of this. So, yeah, so um, that's, my, that's my number two. So Okay, going. so Let's, now we're going on to going. my number three. Now we're going to change gears a little bit. So my number three for the, one of the most influential films on me is Tommy Boy. The, one of the, cla the classic comedy of the 90s with Chris Farley and David Spade. Now this, now one of the reasons that this is so influential to me is that, well, A, it's a comedy, but I would consider this like, I mean, it's like slapstick, but like serious slapstick, if that makes sense, because it has like a really serious story, uh, and it covers some pretty serious subject matter, but with Chris Farley's um, and David Spade as coming along for the ride like it's such a it's such a funny movie and like where this is really personal with me is that i grew up with this movie and i was talking about this with brian earlier today this is like one of the one of the only comedies that i have laughed so hard throughout the entire movie most comedies i'll maybe get like one or two laughs maybe one really good laugh especially modern comedies but this film is just so funny not left from beginning to end it starts off with with a funny joke of, of a kid running into a glass door and it ends with tommy getting or chris farley getting hit in the head with in the, with uh with a um with a sailboat pole and it's just it's just it's so funny and, it, and it's so um endearing and that this this guy like i mean with other films like with i, I said like the following film is uh black sheep that's kind of like what they wanted to get another um, Tommy Boy, 
and they tried recreating the magic, but they just couldn't do it. And that's kind of the more, kind of like the bumbling, more traditional, like kind of Chris Farley that we know. Whereas in Tommy Boy, he's such an endearing character, and he's, I mean, he's he's kind of an he's an idiot, but he means well, and he's lit, and he's trying his best, and and I just and and it's something that I like I said I grew up with, my. Brian, myself, and my older brother, we quote this movie every time uh, we see each other. We always, um, I always, whenever I haven't seen Brian for a while, or my older brother, I always say, brothers don't shake hands, brothers got a hug, and we, and it's just one of those things, the uh, T-Bone, and and the, the bull's ass, it's just like one of those great monologues that we just keep, or one of those jokes that we just keep saying, and I don't know, I just really, it's, it kind of was my first intro to comedy, and what is good comedy versus what is bad comedy, and this is kind of the intro to good comedy for me. I actually use, I, and it's still relevant, it still makes people laugh, I actually give, um, a public speaking presentation to my old, uh, one of my high school per, I, teachers or professors, I uh, go back and I try and give a public speaking presentation because I think public speaking is great. It's a great skill that most people, especially my generation, don't really possess. And so I give this presentation trying to help these these uh, younger people trying to have the confidence and give them tips. And I always start off with a video in every presentation to kind of break the ice and just kind of ease the tension. And for this public speaking presentation, for this high school class, I always start, I always have a clip from Tommy Boy where he lights the cars on fire and he just kind of blows the meeting. And it's, and I remember in high school, I made this in high school. It was my, it was always my goal to somehow work a Tommy Boy video into a presentation. I finally did it. You know what? It's still there. It's a great way to segue into public speaking of what not to do, but it's still, it's so funny. I remember when I, I showed eight classes this, this presentation and every single time everyone laughed hysterically. And it was just great seeing that this film still can make people genuinely laugh because you know what? Laughter is the best medicine. So I don't know, Brian, what did you, do you have anything to say about Tommy Boy? I mean, what don't I have to say about Tommy Boy? I mean, just to, for sake of uh, just being quick and short, I don't, I could ramble forever about this film. I mean, this Tommy Boy will always and forever hold a, a very special place in my heart. Um, not even just for the nostalgia, but just be just for all the laughs it's given me and that Chris Farley has been able to give me. Because, I mean, I, I've been watching this film since I was at least six years old. And I am now almost 21, and I still watch this film, and if I'm not laughing, I smile. Because it's just, I mean, even just as a nature, Chris Farley was just a storm. He was El Nino, or as in Spanish, the Nino. I mean, it's just... Or or Dave Foley, or... Matt Foley. Or Matt, Matt from shit, I'm sorry. God Matt damn it, Foley. dude. But anyway, it's just, he, he as a presence, just like, you know, famous, just like Bill Murray or John Belushi, they were always hold this, like, special place in my heart because I could, I could be depressed and I could put on Tommy Boy and it would make me feel better because just that is what that film is. And, I mean, yeah, this, I mean, in essence, this film, this could go on my influential list. Um... But, I mean, I knew it was going to be said anyway, but, I mean, I just simply said I love this film, and honestly, like, this is kind of the test, like, if I ever, like, just have a girl, 
if I ever find a girl and I show her this film and she laughs at it on the same beats that I do, I mean, I found the one. If you, that's the test. If you can show a girl Tommy Boy and she loves it, marry her. Because, I mean, <laughs> just this film, I love it. There, I can't say I love it enough. So I'm going to stop now or also keep rambling. Yeah. All right, so that's Tommy Boy. Brian, what is your uh, number three pick? Three. Um, okay, so, so now this is the Paul Thomas Anderson segment of my picks. And this was, this was actually a really tough one. Because if you guys couldn't pick it up from my Punch Drunk Love uh, discussion, I live, breathe everything Paul Thomas Anderson. I I have seen everything of his work, whether it be his first film, The Dirk Diggler Story, Cigarettes and Coffee, all the way to you know his music videos with Michael Penn, uh, Fiona Apple, even to his newest uh, documentary, I believe it's called Janoon or something. It's it's um, he follow basically goes to India and films Johnny Greenwood making an album, or even to his newest um, music video uh, Daydreaming with uh, Radiohead. Um, I, I honestly it's kind of funny I've seen that music video Daydreaming or I think that's what the the song is called the newest Radiohead bit that they've done. I've watched that at least like ten times because it's like the newest freshest piece of Paul Thomas Anderson that I can get my hands on. And I love just watching him. And I love even just watching his evolution from Sydney or Heart 8 to Inherent Vice. And it's like he's a completely different animal. And it's I love watching his evolution grow. And it's so apparent. And each one of his films are completely beasts of their own. And that's why it's so hard to kind of pick and choose which one is the most influential. Because they all are. All of his films and everything that he's done has influenced me as a person, especially as a filmmaker and a writer. And so it's it's tough because, um, you know, I, I go from Boogie Nights is my favorite of his films, but it doesn't influence me in the in the way that other films would. And if like for instance, you know, I love Boogie Nights. It's it's my like I just said it's my favorite film of his. But I've seen Punch Drunk Love the most because it's his not most easily accessible, but in the regard that I show this film to everybody because I say. This is, like, you need to know who Paul Thomas Anderson is, and this is a perfect jumping-off point for him. So I've seen Punch Drunk Love at least 12 times, and so it's, that's the film I've seen the most, but even then, that wouldn't be what influences me the most. So then we go to There Will Be Blood, with his definitive masterpiece, and I, in every single sense of the word, and that's another film where I watch it, and I'm just blown away by Daniel Day-Lewis and the direction and just the story. And even then, that's not what influences me the most. The the film, Paul Thomas Anderson's, uh, the film that influences me most of his canon is The Master, which is, ironically, I think, besides Inherent Vice, one of his most polarizing films. Um, and I don't really know what it is about the film, because, um, like, the way I got into Paul Thomas Anderson was just through Netflix, and I was like, I watched Punch Drunk Love, I liked what I saw, and then I watched The Master, and... It's weird because I wouldn't recommend The Master to anybody who's like fresh off the boat for Paul, new, uh, for Paul Thomas Anderson. But at the same time, I was just like fully taken into whatever the hell I was watching. And I mean, even just the the dynamite performances from Joaquin Phoenix and the late, great uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. 
and even um, Amy Adams and everybody else in this film, it's just everything is working in the right way that it has to be to tell this amazing story. And and I, I mean, it's just I, I can't even describe why I love it so much. I just do. And and, I, and, and, and the reason I think it's the most influential is because let's just like I, I remember watching this film to get inspired to write. Uh, when I would be writing something and I would run to a roadblock with creative writing, I would watch the master and then whatever the hell I would find, I would use that and harness it and write. And so, I mean, when a film can do that to you, where you look to it for inspiration and I, and you can watch that as many times as you want and it's still fresh and amazing. It, it, that's really, that's the telltale sign of something's really going on there. And even though not many or, I mean, like I said, it's a polarizing film, and not everybody likes this. Like, like commercially, like There Will Be Blood or Boogie Nights or even Magnolia. Um, you know, the fact that I can approach this film and just appreciate it and just get it on a different level, it kind of puts me somewhere else that I can't quite describe. Um, that's why it's influential. I don't know, Mike, have you seen this film yet? I have seen The Master, and um, uh, it's definitely one that I'm at the get back to um just because it's like like what you're saying it's it's very it's it's very heavy and dense film and it's very it's it's a it's it's just very masterful and very i i don't really know how to describe it but it's very good but it's like it's not for everyone but if you just sit down and I could see where your inspiration comes from, the cin- the story is fantastic. The cinematography is amazing. The pacing is great for this film. What it's trying to accomplish, but um, yeah, it's it's not so much on my radar, but I can understand why it's on yours. And moving forward, I mean, because I, I that's kind of all I had to say, and it seems like you had everything you needed to say about that. But moving on to mine, which I think I'm gonna my number four pick, I'm going to kind of glance over, because we recently just did an episode on it, but I'm just going to reiterate, uh, my fourth pick is The Blair Witch Project, and it's, and I, and like I said, I'm going to make this really quick, but it's, why this is so influential to me is because of what it did with, with practically nothing, in that, I mean, I mean, it, 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 its budget was $60,000, and it made like $200 million, um, it's just its use of sound when it couldn't it, it was really limited with film and what it could do and just really kind of touching upon that primal fear of using of like scared of the dark and using the audience's imagination to fill in those those broad gaps um i thought just what it and like kind of what we were mentioning with pop or with pulp fiction with popular culture like this film has such a cult following um it's kind of split people on whether or not it's a good film or not, but, and I think with indie filmmakers, it's kind of is a really big inspiration to people that, just to show, as long as you have a vision, and you know, what, and you kind of have an idea of what you can do, like, anything's possible, and, I mean, this film is still, still relevant today, I mean, Brian, you told me this in September, they, they, and they also just released, uh, or just announced that they have a another Blair Witch sequel, um, called just 
subtitled Blair Witch that is coming out in September, so hopefully I'm definitely going to be checking that out. Yeah, but we're definitely going to be watching this. But it's just to prove that it's still relevant today and that it's people's, it's, it has left its mark on popular culture. So that's why it's influential to me. It's just what they, pretty much what they did with nothing. And that they took something, they took such a small premise and it has exploded into something huge. So that's why it's really influential to me. Oh yeah, so exactly. Move, so we can move on to um, into your number four. So yeah, so this was the film I actually just thought and remembered of, and I it, I kind of can't believe I just remembered it because um, I think this film has had like a profound uh, influence on how I just view films and how I just kind of perceive characters. Is the Deer Hunter uh, oh, the yeah. late the late Michael Cimino's, um, uh, uh I I would say masterpiece because. I mean, I've seen a good amount of his other films, and they're not Didn't nearly he, like, as good. Bankrupt? Didn't he bankrupt like a film company with like the film following the Deer Hunter? I don't. Well, the film you're talking about is Heaven's Gate, and I don't know if it was following the Deer Hunter, but that movie is just it, it, putting it simply. That movie is pure excess because I've seen it. Well, it's like his dream project, and I think because of the popularity and the success of the Deer Hunter. That got greenlit, and then and then it just bombed. <laughs> yeah, like that movie. Absolutely. Even I, even I was like, for for people who like, I admire Stanley Kubrick, and and like that that guy is excess too. But even watching Heaven's Gate, even I was like, damn, this is this is really something else. But I digress. I'm not talking about Heaven's Gate. I'm talking about the Deer Hunter because this film, I like I already said before, one of my other favorite scenes comes from this movie when they're singing in the bar, just. Just guys drinking beer, playing pool. The the day or like the a few hours before uh, their buddy's wedding, they're just sitting back, kicking back, having some beers, and just like loving life. And I can sympathize with these. I've been in those situations where you're just kicking back with your friends, enjoying whatever, and you just in the moment. And this and it's really great because this movie, uh, if if anything, this film. Whenever I watch this. I always take it for I just like live in the moment and appreciate everything you have while you still can because as if for those of you who have seen the film I'm not going to spoil it the and we're also going to have a discussion about this is definitely coming up not soon Dude, but we're going to have it It's a it's a is, is this film really five and a half hours long Which film Heaven's Gate Yeah Oh I'm sorry yeah I'm I, I I I was I'm sorry it's just a side tangent I just wanted to see like kind of read some reviews on it and I'm on the IMDb page as we're speaking, and I just see five and a half hours. And he said, oh, we're going to get back to this. So I'm like in the mindset of Heaven's Gate. I'm like, oh, no. But, all right, no, Deer Hunter, definitely. Yeah, but where was I getting? Oh, yeah, like living in the here and now. And like I was saying, this this film takes an incredibly drastic turn towards depression and just, just total gloom and death. And, and it's like really abrupt, too. Like, literally, you're in the moment, like, living life with them, enjoying it, and then, boom, you're in despair and just death and gloom and sadness, and it's just nothing but dark skies ahead for the rest of the film. Uh, and that's, like, not even, that's, like, a little bit before the halfway point. And, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I really, I mean, I, re I mainly watched this film for Act 1, because that in and of itself is, like, a film right there, which is, like, the first hour and a half. Um, which I really admire about this film because it definitely it's three hours to the point exact like long, 
And it and I love how it takes its time with telling the story and building up these characters. So when everything goes south, you really feel for these people. And I did. I mean, there's this, there's a scene uh, when they're in Vietnam because that's where everything gets gets sad in Vietnam. And every time I watch it, I like genuinely get upset every single time I've watched it. And I'm not going to ruin the scene because this is something if you haven't seen the film, you need to go in cold because it will shock you. And I'm making a that's a bold statement, but it will because it's just so visceral and just it takes you to a whole nother just like plane of of experience that you feel for these. And like De Niro once again makes another appearance in a film that in, most influential him and Christopher Walken, they just totally kill it, and they sell it uh, for like this just desperate situation. But and then once that that situation is either resolved or unresolved, the movie keeps going, and then some characters die, tears are shed, blood is shed, and the film ends on such like an incredibly emotional like point that you're just emotion like you're just exhausted by the time the film ends, and you're just kind of sitting there just thinking about it. I remember I showed my friend this and after the film ended, we just sat there for about like five minutes, just like totally exhausted emotionally because it was so powerful. And, and going back to my original, like, I guess like these, when I watched this film is like, I take it for the here and now I like routine routinely do that. If I'm in a good spot right now, I always take in the moment because like it all, this is like sounding incredibly cynical, but like the moment will always end. So you have to enjoy what you have right now. And like the deer hunter kind of taught me that in a weird way because everything's so happy and so fun and so cheerful in the first hour and a half. And then it just immediately just go, it turns its head and you're kind of just thrown in the situation and you can't help as you know, everything is kind of just collapsing in on, on itself and it inevitably just completely falls apart. But uh, I keep I keep recurring that like if films can make me feel this way, they're that's what I love about it. And and I still watch The Deer Hunter at least once every five months, and I still feel the same things I did when I first saw it all those years ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and The Deer Hunter is definitely such a powerful film and is another cinematic masterpiece and there's just so many layers and things going on that it is definitely something that is great and I can see like why it, it would influence a lot of especially like filmmakers and people and because there are a lot of messages going on so um that's really all I had I, I don't really have too much to say about that because this is definitely like I mean I enjoy the, the deer hunter but it's definitely a Brian piece um and so, without further ado, I'm going to get to my final pick. And, you know, I'm going to definitely switch it up. Um, so, I want to save this last one because it's A, it's not a film. B, it's not even a TV show. It's a web series. And it goes by the name of Tribe 12. For those of you that are unfamiliar with what Tribe 12 is, definitely go onto YouTube and check it out. Because this... I saved the, the the best. I, I I started with Dawn of the Dead, one of the best, and I'm also having finishing with one of the best. I didn't want to put this as number two because one, it's not a, it's not a film, 
and it's not even a TV series or anything like that, but it's it's another form of media on YouTube, and I feel like people don't really think of YouTube as having kind of art like that. I mean, maybe now, but it's, it's but it's kind of a slowly progressing. But Tribe 12 is definitely such a huge influence on me, and especially in the horror genre, because it's kind of a new way. Um, Tribe 12 focuses on the Slender Man uh, figure, and there are, there have been a few other popular sh- uh, channels that have uh, utilized Slender Man as their uh, main villain, uh, notably Everyman Hybrid, uh, Marble Hornets, I think, really kickstarted that, um, and... Tribe 12 is definitely one of those series that I was completely enraptured by. Just this, I, I, I break it down is that Marble Hornets has the, actually I don't even know, the kind of like the longer running story. Uh, Everyman Hybrid has the personality and also a decent story, but Tribe 12 has the effects and the story to back it up. And these effects, like they've just... Uh, on a purely influential level, my my past um, my past short that is on our YouTube channel, Amateur Autors, Through the Looking Glass, that was directly inspired from a watching a ton of David Lynch and also Tribe Twelve, because what what he is able to do or what the writers are, I don't know if it's one guy or a bunch, but whatever he is able to do is amazing and what he does with his visuals is just so surreal and freaky and legitimately scary i remember watching a few of these in high school and i was i it made me afraid of the dark again and i was like an 8 17 18 year old kid that was resorting back to those primal fears of i'm al- i'm alone in the dark i'm like i know nothing's there but maybe something's there cuz i can't see it and and it's just it's it's just it's so awesome. I, I I can't recommend this web series as like it's it's been going on for a few years now. So if anyone wants to watch it now, you have a lot to binge watch. And I don't think I don't think you'll be disappointed. And, and especially if you love like being scared, this is definitely for you. Watch this at night, and you're gonna you're gonna you I don't I, you're just gonna be so freaked out. You're gonna have to take a break. But yeah, this is so influential to me, and and I, especially on an editing level, because now that I'm I'm becoming better and better with using my editing software, I want to try and push the bounds of myself as a filmmaker and do different things, um, especially with this this past short through the Looking Glass and my new short that I'm currently working on at, at the time of this recording, and this really kind of acts as that amateur you can do like you have the tools at your disposal you just have to figure out how to do it so i don't know if you have anything to say about it brian i know i'm more into it this is more my outlet especially youtube i feel like i explore youtube more than i mean correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like i explore youtube more than you well you you explore this medium more so than i do i haven't i've i've seen a little bit of tribe 12 uh, I believe I probably got maybe a fifth through it, um, and for whatever reason I stopped watching it. But it was—it actually was pretty good. Um, I just—I haven't seen enough of it though to like really definitively speak on it. But what I did see, it was pretty like creepy. Yeah, and I mean, and as it just as as it goes on, it just keeps 
ramping up and up and up. And I don't know, this just, this really, like I said earlier, it really makes me want to just keep pushing the bounds of what I can do as an editor and with effects and like practical effects. So that's why this is really influential to me. And like I said, anyone that wants a good scare and wants to see something like see something new and very strange, definitely check out Tribe 12. It's all on, it's all on YouTube. Check it out. Give them some support. Yeah. So, so I, I so my influential films are are finished. Now Brian, what was what is your final influential yeah, yeah, bit. So, so you did a web series, so I'm doing a TV show. Um, right, yeah, so right now, this is, uh, I'm just going to preface this, this is the only thing that's ever made me cry uh, that I've watched at, by the end. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I uh, I like, was actually surprised about that, but, I mean, I, I can see why dude, it happened. I sobbed like a little bitch. The, I, <laughs> I, I've, I've only cried once, and... Coincidentally enough, it was because of what something Brian wrote. Um, not to kind of say it's it's on our YouTube channel. It's Brian's short miracle. Um, Goddamn Brian, that was it was beautiful and it made me cry. And I never cry and stuff. So guys, go check it out. Give Brian some support. But getting back to six. Uh, wait, did you say the the show? Well, it's Six Feet Under. Yes. It's, okay. It's I the I, HB, it's the HBO show Six Feet Under, uh, written. Most well, not written entirely, but it's created by uh, Alan Ball, uh, who also wrote um, American Beauty and um, True Blood. Which I don't like True Blood at all, but not the point. But, not the but point. Six Feet Under. Six yeah, feet I under. actually I think didn't I? I started watching this show just kind of go off of that like what you're saying. I I watch I started watching this show my freshman year. I was I actually I think I told you about. It. I don't remember how I found it. I probably saw it because I think I was looking up. Because I just finished Dexter, and I love Dexter. And in in previous episodes, we've said Michael C. Hall is one of my favorite actors with Ewan McGregor. And and, and now I'm going to add Michael Fassbender. But that's just besides the point. Michael C. Hall, I was looking up what other work he he does because I want to see him. And I saw Six Feet Under, and I looked it up. It was a TV show. And I think I looked it up on Amazon Prime. It was like, oh, first season available. I'm like, yeah, I'm watching it. Now, I also was – I'm on the swim team at my school – and we were at winter training, otherwise known as Hell Week, or I should say weeks, plural. And when we weren't swimming or sleeping, we were just laying around feeling sorry for ourselves because we were sore as hell and couldn't move. So, and it was dead of winter. It was in in uh in Pennsylvania. It was freaking miserable. But I remember I started watching this. I think in around two and a half weeks, I think I finished two and a half seasons of the show and hbo shows have 16 episodes that are each an hour each so this show i have my qualms with it it's very it's good especially with the human dynamic of it and it's kind of juxtaposition with featuring death and morticians um it gets kind of in my opinion a little bit ridiculous towards the end but there are saving grace moments as well Wait, what's like Brian ridiculous? i'm just curious like what's ridiculous to you i thought i mean i just thought some of the character motivations were just were annoying. Like for who? Claire. Well, I I I really I mean I didn't really like Claire until her the very end. But and, and I oh man I also thought that uh what's um what's the older older brother's name? It's like Peter Krause's character. Oh God. Nate Nate I yeah. thought Nate and Brenda 
I thought their relationship was just getting so tiresome and repetitive well, and see, annoying. See, that's why I... That's, like, the thing I love about the show, because it's entirely about the human element of the show. And I love the fact that I didn't like... I didn't like Claire throughout the sh- sometimes throughout the show. I didn't like Nate throughout the show. I, even Michael C. Hall. No, not Michael C. Hall's character. No, Michael C. Hall was one of at Michael C. Hall and um. Oh God, his what? What's his what? name? Oh, Keith. Yeah, Keith. Uh, David and Keith. They were my absolute favorite characters. They were one of my saving graces of the show. Whereas, like, whenever I was really annoyed at characters and what they were doing, I always knew that David and Keith were gonna bring me back. And I was like, well, yes, I yeah, want to see these characters. Even going off of that, like, they're a gay couple, and thinking about um, the the whole dynamic that they had. I think the show is what six seasons long. I believe so. Uh, well, I think there's like it's like like seventy two episodes, something like that, and like and the whole show is like dedicated to the evolution of all the relationships of these characters, mainly like the the relationship of Keith and David's relationship, and it's so complex and so real that that was like that was the reason why I cried at the end because of their relationship. Well, in like the ending for any other show. Uh, it wouldn't work, but for this show specifically, not giving away the the finale. See, my my film professor actually, I was talking like, oh, I'm watching Six Feet Under, I am almost done, and she's like, oh, the finale, it had me tear in tears. I'm like, oh yeah yeah yeah, and I get there, and I'm like, this like I thought the last episode was a little like it was okay until that ending. I'm like, that literally made the show great. I mean, there's a lot of things that made it great, but that season finale was one of the Dude, best I, I've ever seen. I, I literally like that, like that moment where, like, where we see like the epitome of the relationship between Keith and David. And I literally, like, I literally spoke. I'm like, oh, like this is what happened, and I said that out loud, <laughs> and I like sobbed. Like, I don't want to say it. Be- I don't want to say the line that I said because I feel like it'll give it away. Like, I don't know. No, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's like what I said. I was like, "Oh, he saw him," and then I yeah. I, started, I started crying, <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, that's beautiful, dude." And I mean, it is. It is beautiful. I mean, I'm not. La- I mean, I'm not. La- it's just laughing because because no, you get it. And yeah, I I get it. And, and anyone that has seen the show, they're probably laughing with them because with us because it. it I mean, it is beautiful. And, yeah, and and but- it's perfect it's literally it's 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 perfect but and i love how like like literally every single character has an arc even brenda i didn't like brenda's character from the start i never was a fan of brenda but even she like had somewhat of an arc especially by the later seasons she actually like it's not that they like had any didn't have anything to do but like it was just where it was going i really liked it and you and you said brenda and nate's relationship was like getting really tiresome for me, it was getting really tiresome because they really didn't belong together, but they were together, and like that. I mean, just... I was just getting tiresome because for like three seasons, it was the same thing, and I get that that's real life, but this is a TV show. Like, it's an escape from real life. I don't want to sit there and watch people have relationship problems for three freaking seasons. Well, I mean, like, and it's, it's like, and it's not even like relationship problems where the problems are evolving. It's literally the same thing. Like, we're not meant to be together, but we're together because we have like a physical attract. Like, I don't know. Like, I just well, like, this I mean, is the same shit over and over again. 
I mean, that's just my that's just my opinion. I mean, that's what kind of made it more real to me, and that's kind of like why I cried at the end because of moments like that where they like didn't need to do that, but they did. And I mean, even like for moments like Claire, even she's a completely different character in every sense of the way. Like she is a woman; she's a girl when the show starts, and she's a woman when it ends. Oh yeah, and like I think um, we start. I think we start with her. Like, she's smoking, like, crystal meth or something, and then we end with her, like, being a mature, independent like woman, woman who, is, who is going off to explore the world. Yeah. And, and like, like, and that's great that you see that evolution through six seasons, and essentially, like, five years of the, the characters' lives, or something along yeah. the lines of that. Yeah, and I mean, and I just, and they're also just such, like, tender moments throughout the entire piece. Like, I remember, like, even, like, little moments. I remember, like, when Claire was just, like, sitting with their college friends and they're like like what i like what i kind of preach about what i did with the deer hunter they're just like literally sitting there singing songs and enjoying their lives and taking in the moment and then there's like every time something good happened to keith and david's relationship i always smiled oh i did too i was and, always pushing for them to do like the like i wanted them to be together and you know what i love about the show is that unfortunately we live in a society where you know homosexual couples and like even even lesbian couples, any everything like that. I'm not trying to get too political here, but it's 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 you know it's frowned and it's it's a very it's a taboo, it's like a taboo subject. Yeah. It's a taboo subject in many many people and a lot of intolerant people out there. And I love the fact that this show. And I'm not saying I'm intolerant or anything like that. Um, but it's just something. It's an it's an aspect of life that like I'm not too familiar with because I am a heterosexual male. I don't really have many gay friends. It's not. You know, it's not my per. It's just the way I grew up. It's just where I grew up and the cir- circumstance around my life. And so, it, especially like going into the show, like with such a naivete, I guess so to speak. Not saying I have no experience with like gay people, but it's just having them the central focus of this relationship, and just kind of even for me personally, watching it grow and flourish and and love it when it is. And like I said, they they were the reason why I cried. They are my favorite couple in tv film literature anything that keith and david are my favorite couple ever yeah and because it's just so it's so beautiful and and that's just the show yes it is it's a a 72 episode whatever it is show so it it will invest your time but i mean i would recommend this show to almost everybody i know if they could just sit down and watch it yeah so i think that's it yeah i I guess that's yeah, I'm out of uh, films as well. So, that was a uh, special episode. Uh, we hope you you guys enjoyed this uh, this week's episode and uh, or this this special episode in particular. Um, and so we'll get back to you in the next next episode. And um, I think we do we do have a bunch of these planned out. So we'll be uh, releasing these whenever uh whenever we feel like they should whenever it's needed yeah and also um, i guess since we're wrapping up i just want to say like thank you again for listening to all you guys listening and keep you know recommending us or whatever just keep you know giving us attention because we need it and also because we don't really have a good idea of like what we're doing or what we're doing wrong like what's right what working what's not working and we want to keep improving the show for you guys because we do this all for you so we don't want to be putting out you know stuff that you don't necessarily like i mean if you if you like these special episodes please tell us and if you don't please tell us because we want to keep uh you know evolving to 
better you guys and uh, help you guys enjoy us more. Even even if it's a rate, a like, a comment, a subscription, whatever. Email us. I don't know if we have a Twitter or a Facebook, but just we do have a Facebook and an Instagram, which is all at the end of the show. Yeah, DM me, DM us, or whatever. I mean, just get the message out if you want to talk create to a, us. Create, start a conversation. We would love to interact with you guys. Yeah, exactly. I mean, honestly, I would want nothing more than to interact with you. Whoever's listening, it would be really fun. Um, so I mean, that's my little spiel at the end of the wrap up. But, you know, but thank with you. that, we'll end the uh, we'll end the episode there, and we'll get back to you in the next next episode. And you know, once again, thank you for listening, and have a great night. Yep. Thank you for listening to this episode of Amateur All Tours. If you like what you've heard, want to leave a review, or even make a possible suggestion for Brian and I to discuss, you can follow us on Instagram at The Amateur All Tours, on Facebook at Amateur All Tours Podcast, or even send us an email at The Amateur All Tours Podcast at gmail.com. Once again, The Amateur All Tours Podcast at gmail.com. That is one word. Cover design was composed by Sarah Jacobs. You can find more of her work at our own website, Digital Adventures. Opening and closing theme was performed by the CCH Jazz Ensemble, which was found using a Creative Commons search. Once again, we would like to personally thank you for supporting the show. Stay tuned for future episodes, be sure to let us know what you think, and thank you once again.